Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. In today's episode, I will answer a question that for some may hit a nerve. This week's topic is touchy, not because it is a sensitive biblical issue, but because it's a sensitive cultural issue. The question at hand is if the Bible allows women to preach or to authoritatively teach in the church. The short answer to these questions is no. The Bible is crystal clear that when the body of Christ comes together to worship, the role of preaching and authoritative teaching is reserved exclusively for men. Notice that I said the Bible reserves authoritative teaching for men. Accordingly, the Bible does permit women to teach, but this is restricted to operate within a very specific context. In what follows, I will further explain and clarify what this all means. In said explication, I will end up answering three questions in this episode. Number one, should women teach? Number two, should women preach? And number three, should women occupy the position of pastor or elder. Indeed, there are many issues about which the Bible does not give us specific instructions for specific situations. In said cases, God's Word equips us with general principles that we can follow. Thankfully, when it comes to answering the three questions at hand, God's Word provides precise answers. Now before I move forward, allow me to define terms. What is teaching? Teaching publicly expounds the Word of God. Teaching communicates authoritative material from one generation to the next so the truth will be preserved and non-truth will be refuted. Teaching expounds the tradition of Christ and the whole canon of God's truth found in the pages of Holy Scripture. For scripture references, see 1 Corinthians 12, 28-29, Ephesians 4:11, 1 Timothy 2, 7, 4, 13, and 6, 2, 2 Timothy 3, 16, Titus 2, 7, and James 3, 1. What is preaching? Preaching is teaching on fire. Preaching is more than teaching in that it includes an element of exhortation. You cannot have biblical preaching without biblical teaching. If you ever do lack teaching, then what you have left is not preaching. It is a pep talk or a motivational speech. Biblical preaching always contains biblical teaching. Now, in order to press forward, I will first go back and begin in the Old Testament. In the very beginning in the book of Genesis, God created Adam and Eve, our first parents. Genesis 1.27 is clear that both males and females are image bearers of God, and thus males and females are equal. However, they were created equal with distinctions. Just looking at the outward male and female form provides material proof that men and women are distinct, and this distinction is a function of God's design. Genesis 2.18 clarifies that it was not good for man to be alone, and so God made Eve Adam's helper. This means that men and women complement each other. Without a woman, man is without needed help, and without a man, the woman is unable to exercise her unique gift of helping. Men and women were therefore made for each other and were thus designed with complementary purposes. They each meet the need of what the other lacks. 
cognizant of this, God is the one who gives Adam distinct authority in Genesis chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. So biblically defined, women do not have the authority that men do, nor do they share equal authority. By God's design, males were formed first and were given a unique and special responsibility for leadership in relation to women. Because these specific roles for men and women were assigned in creation, these roles apply to all men and all women everywhere all the time. This means maleness and femaleness is expressed not just in saved people who believe in God. It applies to everyone in the world at large. Notice as well that God ordained these distinct gender roles before sin entered into the picture in Genesis 3. Distinct gender roles did not develop in a fallen world after sin. Rather, these distinctions were created by God himself in paradise before sin. This is a relevant lesson because now that we do live in a fallen world corrupted by sin, what sin will try to do is supplant the gender roles that God ordained in Genesis 1 and 2. This is in fact exactly what happened in Genesis 3. There was an inversion of male and female gender roles, and the result was the fall of the entire human race. Adam and Eve were the first married couple and were thus members of the first family. The concept of family is important because God uses the model of a family to illuminate our understanding of other constructs in life. So God's design of male headship in the male-female marriage union informs our understanding of male authority in the home and in the church. The church then is not an organization alien to the family. The church is in fact a household that is headed by God and composed of members of the Lord's family. For scripture references, see 1 Timothy 3, 4-5, 3-15, Hebrews 3-6, and Galatians 6-10. The point of all of this is to reinforce the idea that male leaders in the church are like fathers in the home. They lead not by their own authority, but they lead in submission to Christ and exercise authority out of love for the family. The model for this comes from God himself, who is a father. He is a father who has authority over all. Christ submits to the father. Elders submit to Christ. Church members submit to elders. Fathers submit to Christ. And households submit to fathers. As 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. With a unified focus on Christ, a unified body of believers with one heart and one mind does what God intended. If we take a look at the Bible as a whole, we observe that the God-ordained authoritative role of men helps to clarify why in the theocratic nation of Israel, all of the nation's political leaders were men in the office of king. It also helps to explain why all priests were men from the tribe of Levi. It also sheds light that throughout the Old Testament, God is figuratively labeled as the father of Israel and the nation his child. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus is called the head and the church is called his bride. And as I just mentioned, Christ is the head of the church and the church submits to his authority. Now everything that I mentioned thus far gives us general principles that inform our thinking about the roles and relationship of the sexes in general, but it does not specifically answer if women can preach or teach. 
Thankfully, in the epistles and pastoral letters, the Apostle Paul gives us the answers we are looking for. In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 to 35, the text says, The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Paul's instruction here did not apply to one particular place in one particular time. It is in the pages of Holy Scripture and thus applies to all churches everywhere all the time and is profitable for teaching. In the immediate context of this verse, Paul gives these instructions in regards to tongues and prophecy. Notice here that Paul did not reject or rebuke women for the fact that they were prophesying. He instructed them to be silent in the churches so that they are quiet in the presence of men. So 1 Corinthians 14 gives us some insight into how men and women serve differently in God's house, the church. But let's dig deeper. Titus 1 is much more specific than 1 Corinthians 14. Titus 1 provides a list of qualifications of an elder, an office of church leadership that is synonymous with an overseer or bishop. Pastors are a type of elder. In the church, elders are the ones who preach and authoritatively teach. Elders are also called to exercise authority or govern. So what does Paul say about elders? In verses 5 to 9 of Titus 1, Paul writes, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you, namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Here, Paul writes that an elder must be a man above reproach and the husband of one wife. Indeed, these verses focus primarily on the character traits of an elder, but the text details two specific things this male must do. He must be able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute error. In other words, the male elder must be able to preach and refute those who defy God's truth. This means that an elder who does not communicate God's truth is not acting like a biblical elder. The same applies to an elder who refuses to correct something contradictory to God's inerrant word. We also have to consider what Paul says in Titus chapter 2. There, we pick up on a principle similar to what we talked about in 1 Corinthians 14. In Titus 2, the issue is not the reality of women teaching. The issue is the reality of women teaching in an authoritative position over men. Hence, Titus chapter 2 verses 3 to 4 says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women. So here, the Bible makes it crystal clear that women are not totally inhibited from teaching. They are actually encouraged to teach and encourage younger women. 
And what are the older women to teach the young women? Paul goes on to say in verses 4 to 5, he says, To love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Now we are very close to answering all three of this episode's central questions, but let us consider one more passage from the New Testament. 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 7 also clarifies specific qualifications for an elder, the male who preaches and teaches. Remember that when the New Testament speaks of elders, bishops, or overseers, these terms are interchangeable. So 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 7 says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? He is not to be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Once again in these verses, Paul reiterates the male exclusiveness for those who desire to be an overseer and thus a preacher and an authoritative teacher. In fact, in these seven verses, Paul uses the pronoun he or his no less than nine times. There are some people who insist that Paul's words in 1 Timothy only apply to a specific historical context. This is why what Paul does in the preceding chapter is most helpful. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12-14, to 14, Paul writes, But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. What Paul does here is that he grounds a distinction of gender roles in the church, not on local norms or cultural standards. Instead, he grounds them based on creation itself and goes all the way back to Genesis. As a result, the gender distinctions apply to the whole church all the time and in all places because the principle that informs male authority in church is embedded in God's design of men and women. To repeat, 1 Timothy 2.12 says, But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. There are two distinct activities that are prohibited here. One is teaching, and the other is exercising authority. Elders function to teach and exercise authority. 1 Timothy 2.12 therefore excludes women from the office of elder, since elders teach and exercise authority over the whole church. In fact, 1 Timothy 2.12 excludes women from functioning in any capacity where they authoritatively teach men or, figuratively speaking, become the spiritual fathers of men. 
It is no surprise, then, that 1 Timothy 2, 12-14 explicitly excludes women from the office of elder, and 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 and Titus 1, 5-9 explicitly include only men for the office. It is also very important to note that these two functions, teaching and exercising authority, distinguish elders from deacons. Deacons are not supposed to teach and are not supposed to exercise authority. This helps to explain why women are permitted to serve in the office of deaconess. This is clarified in 1 Timothy 3.11. Women who hold the office of deaconess do not exercise authority over men, neither do they preach, nor do they authoritatively teach. This verse again reinforces the principle that women are not stripped of all authority. It simply limits how their authority is exercised over men. Now that we have examined the scriptures and searched for meaningful answers, we can now answer with confidence the questions that were posed at the beginning of this episode. So question number one, should women teach? The Bible says that women are not permitted to authoritatively teach over men. Question number two, should women preach? The Bible says no. Question number three, should women occupy the position of pastor or elder? The Bible says no. Now, I won't end the episode here. What I will do is address some common objections to what the Bible makes explicitly clear. There are some prophecies in the Old Testament that may give the superficial impression that in the New Testament era, all roles in God's church will be opened up to both sexes. A classic text used to seemingly validate that point comes from the book of Joel. In chapter 2, verses 28 to 29, the text says, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Here, the prophet Joel looks forward to a future time when God promises to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And what does this prophecy mean exactly? Well, it means exactly as it was recorded, that God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh and the effect will be prophecy, dreams, and visions. This has nothing to do with qualified preaching and teaching and everything to do with prophecy, dreams, and visions. But we don't have to speculate. The benefit of having an entire Bible is that we can use what is explicit and clear to help us interpret what is obscure and not so clear. So is Joel 2 verses 28 to 29 quoted anywhere else in the Bible? It is in Acts chapter 2. There we have the day of Pentecost when the New Testament church was inaugurated and there was a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what happened? In Acts 2.17, a sermon is preached that quotes the prophecy from Joel. Who preached that sermon? The Apostle Peter. And who authoritatively taught the people what the Old Testament prophecy meant? The Apostle Peter. And how does he explain what Joel's prophecy pointed forward to? He explained that Joel's prophecy pointed forward to Pentecost, where both men and women were filled with the Holy Spirit. The filling with the Holy Spirit thus gave them utterance in the form of tongues. Hence, the prophetic gift given to men and women in Acts 2.17 is clear and undeniable. What is also clear is how women are to exercise that gift in the church. How is under the authority of men, as Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians 11 verses 3-16. to 
Furthermore, the Bible clearly defines that being filled with the Spirit produces spiritual fruit, and the book of Galatians chapter 5 tells us that the fruits of the Spirit do not discriminate based on sex. These fruits are manifest in the individual believer's life and do not supplant the model of submission that exists in God's church. The point of all of this is simple. Although Joel chapter 2 verses 20-29 may be used by some in an attempt to justify female preaching and teaching, it is an interpretation of scripture that is not only forced, but also ignores general principles embedded in the rest of the canon of scripture. In other words, it employs a strategy that looks at a small part while ignoring the whole. Of course, it goes without saying that the whole of God's truth is coherent and he would never contradict in one place what he has said overall. In some other objections, arguments claim that certain women in the New Testament actually held authoritative teaching positions in the church. Examples include Priscilla, Phoebe, and Lydia. This argument is paper-thin at best because it is an argument from silence. Although these women are mentioned in the text, it is never explicit that they held authoritative positions. Reconstruction of history is never a reasonable interpretive strategy. Some may object and say the verses we studied in 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy, and Titus only apply to the first century church. The immediate question to then ask is, how did you come to that conclusion? Oftentimes, the answer is simple. People like to make themselves exempt from God's truth and use the thick black marker to wipe away all the verses they don't like. The slippery slope here is that if you begin rejecting any part of the Bible, you tacitly are telling God he got something wrong, and you can then make an easy transition to throwing the entire Bible in the garbage. 2 Timothy 3.16 assures us that not some, but all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The final point I will make about common objections is that no person who was already in the office of pastor or elder can authorize a woman to preach or authoritatively teach. This means that if an elder says, it's okay for women to preach, this actually means nothing because that elder cannot supersede God's word. No person is above the Bible. In the same light, no one in any church office can ever use their authority and make it okay for anyone else to sin. If a woman is married to an elder or pastor, this does not mean she can preach or teach. If a woman is the relative of an elder or pastor, this still does not mean she can preach or teach. The only thing that matters is what the Bible says, period. God, in His grace, bestows spiritual gifts on all of His children. This is undeniable. What is also undeniable are God's explicit instructions in His inerrant Word. It is in His Word that we find clear instructions that although women may be highly gifted according to God's design, these gifts cannot be exercised by authority over men in the church. On the one hand, women being the spiritual authority in a man's life is more than just a woman being a spiritual authority. It is a violation of God's design for how the sexes have distinct roles in God's church. If you violate the manufacturer's directions, malfunctions will inevitably ensue. On the other hand, the gifts that women bring to the church are critically essential, and more than half of the American church is female. 
Without women, the church would fail. Without women, humanity would fail. Women are absolutely crucial to the church by God's design. The absence of authoritative teaching by women does not suggest that women are inherently incapable or that men are inherently capable. The absence of female teaching does not suggest that females lack worth or that they cannot gift the community with something of value. The absence of female teaching never implies that women should be inactive. On the contrary, the Bible calls them to be very active in all sorts of endeavors. In God's house, being female does not change that you serve. It only changes how you serve relative to men. What I hope I have done in this episode is present credible evidence of God's desire for how men and women serve together in God's church. The substitution of God's design for something else is not about making an enlightened embrace of a more modern, relevant, inclusive, or socially conscious alternative. Rather, the rejection of God's plan is in essence a rejection of God and represents placing faith in something other than Him. What results is a poisoning of the truth. This leads to a weak church and the desecration of the Lord's honor. Ultimately, any denial of God's truth is a slippery slope that invariably leads to false doctrines, false beliefs, feathery Christians, and a fake, lukewarm church. I will close by saying that the issue of women in the church preaching or teaching is essentially a modern issue. It has only become a considered topic of discussion over the past century. For nearly 2,000 years, women preaching and teaching was a non-issue. So what happened? God's word never changed, but culture did. The Bible never changed, but the spirit of the age is always changing. With the modern thrust of egalitarianism and the usurping of God's design gender roles, people have willfully rejected God's design and want to do what is right in their own eyes or what is popular in culture's eyes. This is just another example of culture trying to persuade the Bible, but this is why God's word is reliable. God said what needed to be said 2,000 years ago, and his story has never changed. We ought not to tamper with the word of God, which is settled in heaven forever. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.